Hi, my name is Dan Gaynor, and welcome to The Opposite. Today's pod explores the idea of climate change and choice. Most of us have heard that last year was the hottest on record, that the ice caps are melting, that sea level rise might wash away entire cities, but we're not sure what to do about it. No matter where you stand politically, climate change really comes down to action or inaction. Should we build more solar panels or should we pull out of the Paris Accords? And our choices very well may determine the fate of the planet. Our first op-ed comes from someone who's played a killer robot from the future, jet-flying secret agent, and kindergarten cop on the big screen. But in the real world, he's playing an even more unlikely role for a Republican with national name recognition, a pioneer in the fight against climate change. Here's former California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger's landmark op-ed entitled in typical Arnold fashion, I don't give a bleep if we agree about climate change. I see your questions. Each and every time I post on my Facebook page or tweet about my crusade for a clean energy future, I see them. There are always a few of you asking why we should care about the temperature rising or questioning the science of climate change. I want you to know that I hear you. Even those of you who say renewable energy is a conspiracy. Even those who say climate change is a hoax. Even those who use four-letter words. I've heard all of your questions, and now I have three questions for you. Let's put climate change aside for a minute. In fact, let's assume you're right. First, do you believe it is acceptable that 7 million people die every year from pollution? That's more than murders, suicides, and car accidents combined. Every day, 19,000 people die from pollution from fossil fuels. Do you accept those deaths? Do you accept that children all over the world have to grow up breathing with inhalers? Now, my second question. Do you believe coal and oil will be the fuels of the future? Besides the fact that fossil fuels destroy our lungs, everyone agrees that eventually they will run out. What's your plan then? I personally want a plan. I don't want to be like the last horse and buggy salesman who was holding out as cars took over the roads. I don't want to be the last investor in Blockbuster as Netflix emerged. That's exactly what is going to happen with fossil fuels. A clean energy future is a wise investment, and anyone who tells you otherwise is either wrong or lying. Either way, I wouldn't take their investment advice. Renewable energy is great for the economy, and you don't have to take my word for it. California has some of the most revolutionary environmental laws in the United States. We get 40% of our power from renewables, and we are 40% more energy efficient than the rest of the country. We were an early adopter of a clean energy future. Our economy has not suffered. In fact, our economy in California is growing faster than the U.S. economy. We lead the nation in manufacturing, agriculture, tourism, entertainment, high-tech, biotech, and of course, green tech. 
I have a final question for you, and it will take some imagination. There are two doors. Behind door number one is a completely sealed room with a regular gasoline-fueled car. Behind door number two is an identical, completely sealed room with an electric car. Both engines are running full blast. I want you to pick a door to open and enter the room and shut the door behind you. You have to stay in the room you choose for one hour. You cannot turn off the engine. You do not get a gas mask. I'm guessing you chose door number two with the electric car, right? Door number one is a fatal choice. Who would ever want to breathe those fumes? This is the choice the world is making right now. To use one of those four-letter words all of you commenters love, I don't give a damn if you believe in climate change. I couldn't care less if you're concerned about temperatures rising or melting glaciers. It doesn't matter to me which of us is right about the science. I just hope that you'll join me in opening door number two to a smarter, cleaner, healthier, more profitable energy future. In May, President Trump made headlines around the world by pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords. In this piece from the New York Times, Bill McKibben, the executive director of 350.org, a climate advocacy organization, makes the case for rejoining. People say, if all you have is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. We should be so lucky. President Trump has a hammer, but all he'll use it for is to smash things that others have built as the world looks on in wonder and in fear. The latest, most troubling example is his decision to obliterate the Paris Climate Accord. After nearly 200 years of scientific inquiry and over 20 years of patient diplomacy that united every nation save Syria and Nicaragua, we had this afternoon's big game show Rose Garden reveal. Count us out. It's a stupid and reckless decision. Our nation's dumbest act since launching the war in Iraq. But it's not stupid and reckless in the normal way. Instead, it amounts to a thorough repudiation of two of the civilizing forces on our planet, diplomacy and science. It undercuts our civilization's chances of surviving global warming, but it also undercuts our civilization itself, since that civilization rests in large measure on those two forces. Science first. Since the early 1800s, we've been slowly but surely figuring out the mystery of how our climate operates, why our planet is warmer than it should be given its distance from the sun. From Fourier to Foote and Tyndall, from Arrhenius to Ravel and Seuss and Keeling, researchers have worked out the role that carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases play in regulating temperature. By the 1980s, as supercomputers let us model the climate with ever greater power, we came to understand our possible fate. Those big brains, just in time, gave us the warning we required. And now, in this millennium, we've watched the warning start to play out. 
We've seen 2014 set a new global temperature record, which was smashed in 2015 and smashed again in 2016. We've watched Arctic sea ice vanish at record pace and measured the early disintegration of Antarctica's great ice sheets. We've been able to record alarming increases in drought and flood and wildfire, and we've been able to link them directly to the greenhouse gases we've poured into the atmosphere. This is the largest scale example in the planet's history of the scientific method in operation, the continuing dialectic between hypothesis and skepticism that arrived eventually at a strong consensus about the most critical aspects of our planet's maintenance. Rational people, the world around understand. As Bloomberg Businessweek blazoned across its cover the week after Hurricane Sandy smashed into Wall Street, it's global warming, stupid. But now President Trump and 22 Republican senators who wrote a letter asking him to take the step is betting that all of that is wrong. Mr. Trump famously called global warming a hoax during the campaign, and with this decision, he's wagering that he was actually right. He's calling his own bluff. No line of argument in the physical world supports this claim, and no credible authority backs him, not here and not abroad. It's telling that he simultaneously wants to cut the funding for satellites and ocean buoys that monitor our degrading climate. Every piece of data they collect makes clear his foolishness. He's simply insisting that physics isn't real. But it's not just science that he's blowing up. The Paris Accord was a high achievement of the diplomatic art, a process much messier than science and inevitably involving compromise and unseemly concession. Still, after decades of work, the world's negotiators managed to bring along virtually every nation the Saudis and the low-lying Marshall Islanders, the Chinese and the Indians. 195 nations negotiated the Paris Accord, including the United States. The dysfunctional American political process had already warped the process, of course. The reason Paris is a series of voluntary agreements and not a real treaty is because the world had long since understood that no binding document would ever get two-thirds of the vote in our oil-soaked Senate. And that's despite the fact that the agreement asks very little of us. President Barack Obama's mild shift away from coal-fired power and towards higher mileage cars would have satisfied our obligations. Those changes and similar ones agreed to by other nations would not have ended global warming. They were too small. But the hope of Paris was that the treaty would send such a strong signal to the world's governments and its capital markets that the targets would become a floor and not a ceiling, that shaken into action by the accord, we would start moving much faster toward renewable energy, maybe even fast enough to begin catching up with the physics of global warming. There are signs that this has been happening. The plummeting price of solar energy just this spring persuaded India to forego a huge planned expansion of coal plants in favor of more solar panel arrays to catch the sun. China is shutting coal mines as fast as it can build wind turbines. And that's precisely the moment President Trump chose to make his move, a bid to undercut our best hope 
for a workable future in a bizarre attempt to restore the past. A few fossil fuel barons may be pleased, Vladimir Putin likely among them since his reign rests on the unobstructive development of Russia's hydrocarbons, but most of the country and the world see this for the disaster it is. Majorities in every single state, red and blue alike, wanted America to stay in the accord. And so we will resist. As the federal government reneges on its commitments, the rest of us will double down on ours. Already, cities and states are committing to 100% renewable energy. Atlanta was the latest to take the step. We will make sure that every leader who hesitates and waffles on climate will be seen as another Donald Trump. And we will make sure that history will judge that name with the contempt it deserves. Not just because he didn't take climate change seriously, but also because he didn't take civilization seriously. Contrary to popular belief, you can solve climate change at the dinner table. Here in the New York Times by Justin Gillis, under the article Short Answers to Hard Questions About Climate Change, here's his take on how reducing meat could help you save the planet. Will reducing meat in my diet really help the climate? Yes beef especially. Agriculture of all types produces greenhouse gases that warm the planet, but meat production is especially harmful, and beef is the most environmentally damaging form of meat. Some methods of cattle production demand a lot of land, contributing to destruction of forests. The trees are typically burned, releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Other methods require huge amounts of water and fertilizer to grow food for the cows. The cows themselves produce emissions of methanes, a potent greenhouse gas that causes short-term warming. Meat consumption is rising worldwide as the population grows and as economic development makes people richer and better able to afford meat. This trend is worrisome. Studies have found that if the whole world were to start eating beef at the rate Americans eat it, produced by the methods typically used in the United States, that alone might erase any chance of staying below an internationally agreed upon limit on global warming. Pork production creates somewhat lower emissions than beef production and chicken lower still. So reducing your meat consumption or switching from beef and pork to chicken in your diet are moves in the right direction. Of course, as with any kind of behavioral change meant to benefit the climate, this will only make a difference if lots of other people do it too, reducing the overall demand for meat products. This episode's theme has been about climate change and choice. We kicked off the first one with the governor, aka the Terminator, and he talked about the choice whether or not to invest in a clean energy future because climate change is happening and we need to address it immediately. 
Then we went into Bill McKibben talking about the Paris Accords. And he was saying that we need to rejoin the international order and work with other countries to tackle this uniquely global problem. And then finally, we wrapped up with something really unique and interesting and counterintuitive in the sense that you can solve climate change at the dinner table by consuming less meat. The theme of today's episode isn't so much whether or not climate change exists or doesn't exist. The facts are there. There's always going to be people on the fringes who doubt them. But if you accept general science, the question then becomes, how do you tackle a global issue that the United States alone, even if it was most committed of anyone in the world, can't necessarily solve? So it begs the question, what kind of choices are you going to make to tackle climate change? Will you pick the veggie burger over the New York Strip? Are you splurging on a Tesla over a Hummer? Or are you voting for a politician who bucks the status quo? Climate change is real, and it's coming, and it's foreboding, but that doesn't mean we're helpless. And on the opposite, we'll tackle similar issues and address how you can make a difference. This wraps up the premiere episode of The Opposite. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening all the way through. The next episode is on something just a little bit more fun than climate change. It'll be on the debate over craft beer. So on behalf of our entire team here at The Opposite and especially executive producer and co-founder Justin Sego, we want to thank you for listening and tune in next time because it's not enough to know what's going on in the news. You've got to have a take on it.